welcome to the Film Geezers Podcast. This is our first podcast in what we hope to be a series where we discuss anything and everything to do with films. We say it's made by film lovers for film lovers. I'm Robbo, I'm here with Cheeto. Hello. And we thought today's topic, we would discuss our top 10 favourite films. So we've each compiled a list of 10 films. We don't know what's on each other's lists. And we thought we'd just go through and discuss them. They're in no particular order. And uh, they aren't what we think are the best films of all time. They're just favourite films to us personally. So if you've got a different list, like I said, it's a matter of opinion. It's just our favourite films. So do you want me to go first? Yeah, you can go okay, first. So, this might be on your list, it, it may be, the 1975 film Jaws. No, it's not on my list, no. actually. No. Okay. So, directed by Steven Spielberg, as I say, it was made in 1975, stars Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss and Robert Shaw. And it's uh, based on the uh, novel by Peter Benchley, and it's... Uh, the film's about a great white shark terrorising uh, a seaside community in Amity Island. What, why is it your favourite film of all time? Well, it's not. It's, I'd say it's not my favourite film, one of my favourite films. It's so difficult to compile a list. Yeah, because um, there's so many great films. Yeah. I guess it, it's a film that I can watch over and over again. Yeah. And, and I still love it. Um, it's It was considered like the first summer blockbuster mm. made shitloads of money it broke the um, record didn't yeah. it at the time yeah and it uh, it has a lot of common themes uh, the suspense I mean when it first came out it was a an X rated which is equivalent to 18 today mm. because horror um, is often imitated so you had a lot of films that came after it uh, there was one called Orca, which was about a killer whale, Night of the Grizzly, Piranha. It's all about that kind of unstoppable um, Leviathan, you know, coming after you. Mm. Um, and like common themes carried over into like Halloween, Terminator. Those films well. could have never happened if exactly. it wasn't for that, you know. Um, and I know if you've ever seen a documentary about the making of, there were lots of problems with the, sh- with the mechanical shark. Um, it's built by Robert Matty, I think, who built. I think it was giant octopus on twenty thousand leagues under the sea, mm. and it worked perfectly well back at the um, the uh, studio. But as soon as they put it into the, the Atlantic Ocean, the salt water, uh, it broke. So it meant for a lot of shots, the, the shark wasn't actually available, which made Spielberg had to improvise by using the barrels. Yeah, and that actually maybe added more suspense because. I think it's scarier having something you know it's there but you don't Can't know where see. it is yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like if someone's in your house you know you they, you know they're in your house but you can't see them can't exactly see where yeah and so maybe maybe had the shark been working the film wouldn't have been as good as it was yeah. it just seemed to fit like the stars line that every, everything yeah. that that happens made it into the, the great movie it is yeah you know? so yeah. that's first on my list okay um I can do consider this one of the best films of all time. Um, it's The Dark Knight. Um, it's uh, one of those films where it's in a trilogy, but the sequel tends to be better than the original. 
like you know you get it with Empire some say you can get it with Terminator 2 but um, it just built on everything that the, the original did um, it's quite uh, different to the other films as in it just changes the tone up you know obviously it's it's a Christopher Nolan film it was written and directed by him he's one of my favourite um, directors of all time uh, it's got Christian Bale in uh, Morgan Freeman uh, Aaron Eckhart uh, obviously a legendary performance by Heath Ledger um, he posthumously won the Oscar for that as well but uh, he plays the Joker so well um, he really went method for this you know he, he unfortunately some say his passing was due to him being so method you know he was on, on something and, and he unfortunately overdosed but yeah no he's already built a legacy and he, he wasn't that old you know sort of thing um, uh, a thing with mine um, the score by Hans Zimmer is one of the greatest of all time in my opinion uh, it is a very dark film um, even in the sense of the script's very dark the film's very dark but actually physically the actual film is dark to look at you know uh, it's one of the most well paced movies ever um, you don't really feel like you're watching a film at that point. It's it's not to say, but sometimes films can be like a slog or they can just go by really quick. But no, you're enjoying every single minute of it, you know. Uh, the dialogue as well, Christopher Nolan is one of the best, as well as one of the best directors, he's one of the best story writers and that shows through this film. Uh, it's weird to say this, but it's, it's a superhero movie, of course it is, but it's not at the same time because it doesn't throw it in your face that it's a superhero movie it's a thriller at the end of the day and one of the best there is um, and just to finish it off it has one of the greatest uh, first acts of all time with the, the bank scene it just um, puts you right into the film and, and you basically know what the film is going to be like from that first act yeah I'm not, I think I've only ever seen it once Yeah, no, um, it's, it's, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of uh, sort of the modern day superhero yeah. films but uh, I, mean, I remember when the Michael Keaton yeah, it's, it's came out totally different to that. although it was different to the sort of original TV series mm. it was still a little bit light hearted yeah. whereas I think with the new films by Nolan it really you can see why Bruce Wayne is the way he is. Yeah, he's, he's a 100%. twisted, sort of tortured, and and obviously that adds to the character. I think. No, he's very um three-dimensional character. That all the like I said, the story writing. He, he he thinks about his characters and he and he gives them a personality instead of them just being um blank canvases on the screen. You know. Right. So, what's your second film? My second film is The Godfather, mm. 1972 crime film directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, and he co-wrote the screenplay with Mario Puzo based on Puzo's novel and it stars Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan and Robert Duvall and it follows the um, it's, it's part of the first installment of a trilogy mm. and it follows the covers 1945 to 1955 and it chronicles the Corleone family mm. under Vito Corleone the godfather and it really focuses on, um, I mean, the film opens with the, a wedding of 
Corleone's daughter mm. and Michael who's the youngest son played by Al Pacino he turns up at the wedding um, and he's kind of an outsider he doesn't want anything anything to do with the, the mafia family um, he's actually joined the army but what happens is that throughout the course of the film he kind of gets dragged back into it mm. and eventually takes over uh, when he's well, what happens, I don't spoil it for anyone, but there's an assassination attempt on, on Vito. And while he's, he's laid up in the hospital, Michael kind of takes over. Mm. Um, and he, he eventually takes over um, the family and the business. Mm. And that leads on to, I mean, Godfather, some, some people would say Godfather Part 2 is actually a better film. Because mm. that, that's split between, um, it tells the backstory of... of Vito Corleone, how he came to America from Sicily, how he... It's he two got, time. Yeah, time two time periods, yeah. yeah. I think it's in the 20s, and how he got into crime and how he became the godfather. Yeah. And then the second part is is shows Michael getting more sort of hold on the, the family um, and getting deeper and deeper into that, um, into, into the mafia. It's a fantastic film. It's, it's a great story. Um... But again, it's it's just one of my personal favourites. Yeah. I know you haven't seen it. No, just tell them that. You. I'll be a death threat now. <laughs> I urge you to go watch it. <laughs> no, I, I, well, eventually, it's just it seems like uh, with these type of films that are in such high regard that you got to. It's not like you can just turn it on and watch it like a popcorn film. You know, you got to get in the right mind space and and headspace to to actually be able to watch it. You know, but now eventually. Can't call myself a film simp if I haven't watched it. I will, I will eventually watch him. But yeah. Um, What's your next film? My next film. I don't know if you have. You might have this on your list as well. It's Ridley Scott's Gladiator. No, I haven't actually. Mm. It was a close one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's but. it's this is the thing with there's a few act a few directors where you look at them directing the film and you're like okay this is going to be a really good film or it's at least going to be decent you're going to leave the cinema happy and Ridley Scott is one of them you know he's he's one of the greatest of all time definitely probably one of the best to, to come from these shores um, just it's the thing I really can't pinpoint what makes Gladiator brilliant it's obviously got a first act of it's one of the best first acts ever and like Dark Knight it sets you up for the film um it gets us straight into it like you expect like a normal film to ease you into it but no it's straight action and then it's it's got an emotional overtone throughout all of it you know it's it's tell you what I'm a I'm not a crier but I tell you what it, it, this it can make the hardest man cry you know what I mean it's, it's I mean I think to the scenes of, of when he's coming home and his his uh his wife and his son are just it's, it's well shot his wife and his son are just uh, hanging and, and he's you can see him crying and that's once again that's great writing because it brings emotion to him you know only up until that we'd, we'd seen the the macho general side of him and um, sometimes if your character is written in a way where you can only see one side then they can be one dimensional and boring characters where no this actually it kind of makes a U-turn because you didn't, you wouldn't expect this from him. But you know, he breaks down, he he starts crying, and then after that, it's got some great action scenes, obviously with the Colosseum and stuff. But it's 
almost like a revenge story, almost you know, against against um Wacky Phoenix character. Commodus. Commodus. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's gone back to kill him and only to kill him. He doesn't care what happens to him. You know, he's he's as far as he's done, he's done his his um life yeah. is done for anyway. Um, he just wants revenge, and. I I'm not going to tell you how. You know, I encourage you to watch this. But the third act is, it's not the longest. It's not probably one of the most action-packed, but it is one of the most emotional uh, final acts ever. And that's it's hard because that's about as much as I can say. Because I want you, you, I want you all to watch it. You know. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's it's a brilliant film. Um, Ridley Scott obviously had, had a background in TV advertising, making Vapple, adverts for yeah. TV. <clears throat> and so um all of his films are just beautifully shot yeah um a I cinematography mean, that, is yeah it's, it's almost like a, a a painting you know some of the framing of the scenes and everything so yeah and also um gotta give a shout out to david franzoni because his writing really comes through in the film um it's natural between the characters it's is how you'd you expect them to to interact in, in the real world because sometimes writing um in movies can be seem robotic but no this is really free-flowing and yeah no you should you should really watch this film if you haven't seen it already so what's your third film uh this may be on your list um uh, the thing no it's not no no, no nearly nearly because <laughs> i consider this the best whole film okay. of all time yeah yeah the thing is a, a 1982 um horror film it's set in a, a polar uh, antarctic research site um, it stars one of well, it's directed by J uh, John Carpenter, and it's got one of his kind of favourite leading men, Kurt Russell. Uh, features Wilfred Brimley, Keith David, Richard Dysart. Yeah, it's a very stat cast, isn't it? Donald yeah, Moffat. Yeah, um, and it's it's about like I say, it's an, it's an Antarctic research site. Um, I don't want, really want to spoil it, but this thing which is. Um, parasitic extraterrestrial life form that can assimilate other people finds its way into their um, into their outpost um, and starts to take over people and so it's that kind of um, it's very because obviously it's set in one kind of location it's claustrophobic it's got suspense because you don't know who is the thing and who isn't um, and again it's very well well written, well acted, well filmed. Rob Bottin uh, was the the special makeup effects designer, um, and this obviously is pre CGI, so everything had to be in camera effects as well. And I think that is a film that again stands up to the test of time. Yeah, it is one of the best, like practical effects of all time, if yeah. not the best. You know it. It um you think of CGI, the CGI would actually make it worse than the way yeah. it was, you know. So yeah, I think that's uh No, it's it's <laughs> it being a lot of people's top tens. Yeah. It's like I said, it was very nearly in mine because he you know, John Carpenter is the master of horror, yeah. you know. But this leads me on to my third one. Okay. Which is another John Carpenter film. Alright. Uh Halloween. Yeah. Um This is a film that I just adore, you know. It's, it's a bit weird that uh, you did all a guy going around killing babysitters, but it's to me, it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, 
is a masterpiece at the end of the day what he was trying to go for um, it is the most bare bones horror the most simple idea and that's why it works um, John Carpenter uh, he'd done a sort of Precinct 13 and he was like a nothing director he got brought in on a I believe it was a 300k budget um, they were able to get the services of Donald Pleasance which was a, a massive thing, you know, Donald Pleasance being one of the greatest actors to come from these shores. Um, Nick Castle, who was really a nobody, just a friend of uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, the producers as well. Um, he was just, because they had such a low budget, he was just drafted in to, to play the shape. Um, one, <clears throat> one shot Deborah Hill, actually. Yeah, she, there's one shot... Nick Castle's about 6'4 and Deborah Hill's like 5'4 or something and you can just see the height difference but like I said they didn't have the budget they didn't they didn't have the time to, to be able to make those changes so there's, there's one outtake we can see oh there's one take in the film where you can see um, I think she's hiding behind some trees and you see John Captain smoke coming yeah, out yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they couldn't afford to reshoot it because it was yeah the, the, the leaves in the in the scenes yeah, they the shot in, in LA didn't they and yeah. it was supposed to be set in mid-America somewhere yeah Haddonfield, Illinois um, um, so didn't they have to paint leaves brown because it was supposed them. to be in, in autumn they had to autumn. chuck them into the scene gather them all up in a plastic bag <laughs> and do the same like I said this was bare bones it was yeah. it was real and they well, it, was, it was unbelievable that one of the greatest horror films of all time probably the greatest slasher and that's another thing it started the slasher craze of the 80s uh, you think of Friday the 13th you think of a Nightmare on Elm Street Scream they all came from this yeah. um, like I said it, it, it is a masterpiece people think that slashes can't be but just in suspense alone what he was going for you know it's the the fear of the unknown you know it's like uh, there's a couple of scenes where they're inside the house and say Laurie played by uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in her first role she could turn a corner and you'd be like okay Michael's behind that sofa or she or he's behind that um, wall you know it's, it's, he could be anywhere and uh, a common thing in the Halloween franchise is that he turns very zombie like but in this one is the best reincarnation uh, of uh, Michael because he is almost supernatural you know there's there's he, he almost teleports sometimes um, but like I said it's, it's just really is a marvel of filmmaking how and it, sh it just goes to show how great of a director John Carpenter is that he was able to pull these, this masterpiece out of nowhere um, originally it was called The Babysitter Murders uh, because they, uh, Akkad Mustafa was the producer and he wasn't very, very good with films or anything uh, and then they brought on John Carpenter and they were surprised that a film was never called Halloween before, so they called it Halloween. And it's certainly a staple of Halloween in it in, in our house. So, yeah, that's my third film. Okay, good. Right, so my next film is, it might be on your list, I don't know, mm. uh, the 1957 film 12 Angry Men. No, it's not. Um, Great it's film, man. Directed by Sidney Lumet. It stars Henry Fonda... Martin Balsam, Lee J. Cobb, Jack Klugman, Edward Binns, Jack Warden, Ed Begley. Um, and it, again, it's one of those films that's set in a single location in a jury room. Um, and it's 
essentially the 12 jurors debating um, about a case they've just heard um, and they initially they have a, a vote and the vote is 11 to 1 guilty and the only one who's sta out, standing out is Henry Fonda uh, and it's how slowly throughout the film the more and more they debate it the more and more of the jurors actually uh, determine that he's not guilty but it's it's also it, it it covers each juror's own own prejudices so there's one guy who's who's particularly prejudiced um, racist because the, the kid um, who's accused of murdering his father is a Puerto Rican uh, this one guy wants to get away because he's got tickets to a, a baseball game so it's about all, all these external pressures um, affect their decision um, I'm not going to tell you how it ends you can probably <laughs> you can probably guess for yourself but again it's it, it's very claustrophobic um, it's set in a hot jury room you see the jurors sweating um, there's heated debate and obviously it was it was um, it was adapted from a TV play which would have gone out live so that's why I think they stuck to the one location but it's just a great film to watch and I think as well it's the when you think of bare bones films just putting men in a room and to make it one of the greatest films of all time takes something it takes um, good good writing um, as in terms of natural communication between each actor um, it's almost a genre of its own with the the one setting yeah but it is the it is the uh, probably the greatest film of that isn't it but I think also the film happens in real time as well which makes a huge difference yeah um, makes it feel like it's live you're yeah. there actually in the room with them yeah yeah no yeah. definitely it was it was it, I've only seen it once but when I did see it it was a joy to watch so yeah uh, my next film is Crystal Nolan's uh, Inception. Um, like I said, there's a few Crystal Nolan films on my list. I just think just what he does on screen. Um, I love his directing style. I love his writing. Like I said, people forget that he works his own films and it's not seen that much anymore, you know what I mean? And he's a, he's a world-class writer, but I'm going to keep this one short and sweet because um, you do have to see it yourself. I could sit here rambling for 20 minutes but you still wouldn't get the gist of it you just have to watch it because it's one of the most mind-bending films of all time um, well, so I've seen it and it's left me confused yeah. as to what was going on <laughs> yeah. I've had to watch it a couple of yeah. times to fully get get it <laughs> yeah. but like I said it's you know it may be confusing you know you're watching a brilliant film um, it took him I believe 10 years to write this film he started writing it before Memento even came out and he he basically, he was in the attitude he wanted. He was writing a film that he wanted to make like perfect. So that's why he took so long to do it. And once he found that formula, he that's what he released. But yeah, it's got stat cast. It's got Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Killian Murphy. But yeah, like I said, it's 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 about uh, going back in time into people's consciences. Um, but like I said, I. I I can sit here talk for ages, but you still you just have to watch it. But like I said, you will not be disappointed because it is, in my opinion, one of the greatest films of all time, and it is easy on my top ten. Yeah, good film, but not 
not on my list. But. Like I said, I'm a, a huge Crystal Nolan fan. I do, I do think he's up there with the greatest yeah. directors of all time. But yeah. Right, my next one, my my may or may not be on your list. Raiders of Lost Ark. No. No. Raiders of Lost Ark is um, an action adventure film. Um, it's made in 1981. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. And it's written by Lawrence Kasdan. It's based on a story by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman. And it stars Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, Ronald Lacey, John Reese davis and Denham Elliott. So if I said to you, right, the film is about, um, he's an archaeologist by day, mm. he's an adventurer by night, going around trying to uh, collect all these relics. I mean, that shouldn't make a good film, but it just mm, does. It does. Like I said, for me personally, <coughs> it is the best action-adventure film I've ever made. And also... For me as well, it's the first act, the opening scene is the best intro to any film ever in history because it, like I said, it puts you right in, but it's it's suspenseful, it's it's um, mysterious, and it just sets up the film so perfectly. You know what you're getting yourself yeah. into. It's set in the 1930s, it's pre-Second World War, um, and it, it details, it's about Hitler's obsession with religious artefacts. Um, and... It's about uh, this, the recovery of the um, Ark of the Covenant. Um, so there's a little bit of supernatural stuff in there as well, religious stuff. Mm. But it's just an, for an action adventure film, you, you can't beat it. Uh, I mean, Spielberg says that it, as a kid, he used to he used to love to watch the film serials. So like um, Buck Rogers. Um, Flash Garden, and it's kind of like that. You can see that coming. You can see themes of that coming yeah, through, yeah. Yeah, but it is. It's it's a great, and again, it's one of those films that you can sit down to watch it, and ten minutes later, it, it appears like ten minutes later, it's finished. Mm. Oh, 100 um, percent. It did spawn three sequels: um, Temple of Doom, which is probably not the greatest. Yeah. Last Crusade, which I think is again is is one of my favourites. Yeah. And they left it a little while and did Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I think just didn't work. I think it was just too late. Well, they, they, you know, they're bringing out a, a fifth one yeah. with House of Ford, and so hopefully they can redeem it. They can go all guns blazing. But yeah, like I said, you overall you don't get better than the original, do you? And this yeah. it just encompasses everything about Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's one of the most iconic characters of all time, yeah. if not the most iconic character. He's the the classic. Hero, he's the classic protagonist. Um, he's uh, charming. He's courageous. He he won't take no for an answer. Yeah. You know, he's he. But again, he's he's not a superhero. Is no, he? he's a he's, he's an every man. He's a, well, he's, he's a he's a um a teacher yeah. essentially, isn't he? Yeah. You know. Because uh, originally, I think it was Tom Selleck was actually cast yeah. as Harris, uh, not Harrison, Indiana Jones, but because of his his commitments to Magnum, the TV series, he couldn't. He couldn't do the part, mm. so it's offered to Harrison Ford, and I, it's one of those where I just can't imagine Tom Selleck no. in, in the role. It's it's Harrison Ford's role, yeah. You know? But at the same time, though, when you're watching it, you're not watching with some actors. You watch them, but yeah. no, you're watching Indiana yeah. Jones. You know, yeah, no, he's he's obviously carrying the baggage of Han Solo yeah. and that, but no, he's he's that doesn't stick a, through a you. Separate know? character, mm. definitely. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it was so close. It, yeah. it was so close to get my top 10 because that is, like I said, one of my favourite films of all time. And the rewatchability on that as well. But um, my fourth film 
is a uh, kind of a mind-bending Christopher Nolan like thriller again. Um, like I said, it's it's a lot of my films are Chris Nolan. I just I just love the guy's uh, films and stuff. You know, his, his directing style, but it is Interstellar. Um, when I first watched this, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. You know, like I knew it was about space and stuff, but I didn't know like what alleys you'd go down. Um, it's one one of the films where I actually like Matthew McConaughey in. You know, um, it was during the it was during the uh, McConaughey's one that um, where you just seem to be in everything. But What's McConaughey, yeah, that's what, Renee Thompson. Matthew yeah, that's McConaughey. what they call it. Yeah, is that, he, he was is that where he's redeemed himself from. Yeah, he was in loads of films, obviously. Um, Dallas Buyers Club he won the, yeah. the, the Oscar for you know he's just everywhere but it's like I said that's one thing with Christopher Nolan's films is that they are mind-bending they are memorable um, it's not when this thing when I, when I first saw like the uh, trailer for it I thought it was going to be like a uh, like a non-fiction sort of space film but no it totally goes left and it's it, like I said I don't want to give away too much but essentially they have to find another planet because the planet's dying um, the time the timing is different on the planets you know like seven like an hour on this planet is like seven years on the last planet well it's, it's all about wormholes isn't it yeah and they have how, to they have to go through this yeah, wormhole and about how time gets distorted as you travel yeah. through a wormhole so what, what could be like an hour on earth would be like 10, 20 years mm. on, on another planet somewhere but uh, obviously Hans Zimmer as well, bringing another yeah. brilliant score. You know, um, it's very, it's a very emotional film. There's that one scene uh, with him and Merv, Merv when he sees sees her growing up, and that's, it's that's his daughter. Yeah, it's just pure, pure acting, yeah. and it shows the acting ability of Matthew McConaughey. Um, but yeah, like I said, with Hans Zimmer's score, it yeah. just makes it that that little bit better. And I. Got Michael Caine, isn't he? Yeah, Michael he, Caine. He's a Christopher Nolan fan. Yeah, he, he, he's well. he's in basically everything Christopher yeah. Nolan, but it, John, John Lithgow. Um, yeah, Matt Damon is a sort of small part in it. Yeah, well. he, he, get, he gets put into it. You don't, you don't yeah. quite. You, you expect yeah. a big name like Matt Damon to be in it throughout the whole way, but now he come, he kind of comes in as his like little thing, you know. But what, what year did it come out? Uh, 2014, and I do. Yeah. It's the thing with, with modern movies. I do feel like they get a bit looked down on, but I do. Yeah. Interstellar is one of those. Every now and then, you get a film just come through, and I, and it is a modern masterpiece. It really is a masterpiece. Just everything works. Yeah, I've got to say, I only I only watched it recently, and I don't know why I put off watching it. I just, I I quite like space films to be sort of more factual than yeah. fiction. Yeah. And I didn't know whether I'd enjoy it. And I really did. It was it was a really good film. So yeah, well worth watching. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. So your your favorite oh, yeah. film? My next film, uh, it might be on your list. Alien. No, it's not. No. Okay. Um, Alien is a nineteen seventy nine science fiction horror film directed by Ridley Scott, and it stars Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Wright, Cartwright, sorry, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafet Kotel. Um, and it all takes place again on a in a single well, I say single location. The Nostromo, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, in a spaceship. Um, starts off they're they're like a cargo ship, and they're traveling into deep space, so they have to be frozen to so it makes because they're traveling for years. 
and suddenly they're woken up out of their freeze um, to in investigate a, a planet. So they go down to this planet, um, they find these pods, like eggs. Um, John Hurt's character, he ends up getting this, um, this creature stuck to his face. They bring him back on board against protocol. Um, he, the, cre the, the creature falls off his face. Um, they're sat around having a meal. Um, and I, I don't really want to spoil it, but it's, it's an integral part of the film. But anyway, what happens is they, they've happened to have brought on board this alien of the title. Um, and it, it is quite an aggressive alien, bleeds acid. Um, so it's very difficult to kill. And it is, it's, it's kind of that um, same theme. Once again, it is a very bare bones. Yeah, like, it's it a very yeah. simple concept, but it's it's one of the most, like you said, claustrophobic yeah. films ever. You know, yeah. um, you f you're there with them. Um, you feel hunted like they are. You know, you feel the emotions they are. Yeah. They're very well written characters, and once again, it's well, it's a Ridley Scott film. It it's, it it can't be anything but good. You know? Yeah. Um, and again, it's been. It, it, it's been often um, copied mm. um, the themes in the film, uh, and it was one of the one of the first films to have a, a, a female protagonist yeah. uh, in Ripley, played by uh, Sigourney Weaver. Um, she's actually the main character in it, um, and she plays a strong, independent woman. And again, for '79, that was quite a, a breakthrough. What I do like know. as well is. Um, it, the the cast is very male dominated, and you think yeah. that the the final person is going to be because she's kind of in the background for like yeah. half of it, and then she really comes into her own when she's like the last one left. You know, she obviously she's like third in charge, and then when she's in charge, you're like, okay, no, she's the main character, and yeah, she bosses the screen. And like I said, it's it's a good role model well, for for young girls. Again, being being really Scott's beautifully shot. Yeah. Um, Used models, I believe, didn't they? Yeah, they, yeah. Again, it was pre CGI. They had yeah. to use models. Um, techniques probably developed it with Star Wars and yeah. and that kind of thing. But yeah, definitely, definitely a good film on a lot of people's on a lot of top one hundred yeah. lists I've seen. Hundred percent. That's definitely it's definitely on like top twenty five yeah. for me, but just misses out. Um, my sixth film, going back to your Raiders, is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Like I said, it was up it was a tussle between them two, and. I know, I know. Indiana Jones um, and the Last Crusade is, like I said, to me, it's my favourite film. I know Raiders is is the better film, but for me personally, I just there's something about it. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the first Indiana Jones film I watched, and it's the one I watched the most. Um, it's obviously once again directed by Steven Spielberg, story by George Lucas. Um, it's Go, it bases heavily around religion, doesn't it, throughout the whole film? Well, they all, I mean, all, all, all the mm. films do. Um, this is the search for the Holy Grail. Yeah. Um, in in which Indy's dad, played by Sean Connery, Connery yeah. gets gets dragged into it because he's um he's an expert on medieval literature and, and he's been it's his, it's been his passion, hasn't it? Is is the the whole Holy Grail thing? Yeah. So it's almost it's it's it's, it's like a MacGuffin, but yeah. it's. Um, Again, it's, it's much the, more than that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's the Nazis searching for these religious yeah. artifacts. Um, again, going into it, you kind of spoil it, but 
I think Spielberg said that the only one who could play Indiana Jones' father was James Bond. Yeah, and I think that's why he went. That's the thing with Sean Connery. Sean he Connery. he just has that that um that presence on screen. Yeah. You know, he is. But he's he's actually he's he's playing against type, isn't he? As well, yes, because yeah. um, his character is quite mild and mm. um, not really action orientated. He's more of a bookworm. Like he he, yeah. he gets scared when he thinks. Yeah. That indie um, breaks the vase, doesn't it? You know, yeah, and then he realizes yeah. it's a cross hatch, you know. But yeah. like I said, I think I think that's that's what makes it even better because it does play against the stereotypes, yeah. and also it is, among other things, it is a father and son like reconnecting story as well. Because yeah. like um, it shows in the in the first act, a young indie played by River Phoenix, he steals the cross of Coronado from um, these miners. Um, he takes it back to. Uh, Henry's house and his dad is is working on the 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 Grail diary and he makes him speak in Greek and it's not like a a typical father and son interaction you know but uh you learn that they weren't really close it was more their mother um halfway through and they didn't really have much to talk about but at the end it they almost reconcile and they connect together again but like, like I said that's it's it's that theme all throughout, and I, I just, I just think it's such a like a blast. You know, it's, it's a really entertaining movie, well paced, and uh, one of the best third acts of a film ever. I love, I love the third act. Like I said, I can't give it away, <laughs> but you guys have to watch it because it is. That's the reason why I prefer it to Raiders. It's just such a, a fun movie. But yeah, cool. you're a sick film, so. Okay. Right. So my next film is Science and Lambs. Yeah. Um, it's a 1991 American detective psychological thriller directed by Jonathan Demme um, and it's from the, the novel by Thomas Harris. It stars Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins um, and this really rejuvenated Hopkins' career. Yeah. Uh, he won an Oscar for it and I think he only spent like 25 minutes yeah, on the screen like and I think that's one of the shortest... Oscar-winning performances. Mm. I think the only other one was David Niven in Separate Tables. I think he spent 24 minutes on screen. Just goes to show that how impactful yeah. his his performance yeah. was as a betrayal, you know. Um, and it basically stars Jodie Foster as a, um, a an FBI. I think she's still a, a probationary agent. Mm. Um, there's a serial killer going around kidnapping young women, holding them and killing them. Um, and she elicits the help of Dr. Hannibal Lecter, who is a serial killer who's been imprisoned, um, to try and give them, help them with the case, give them some insight from a serial killer's perspective. Um, again, don't want to give too much away, but it is a, it's a good film. I think it won Best Director. Yeah, it, it won, um, it actually, it's was, it was one of the rare instances where it won the five, all five of the, yeah. the best Oscars um, to win. Uh, I do once again this is the thing I know I keep going on about it but pacing it pacing is such a important thing in filmmaking it's so well paced it's so well written um, you can tell them they took time to, to write this film um, the, the portrayal they, they couldn't have picked better actors for this you know Anthony Hopkins was obviously he was Shakespearean trained you can see that even from the first shot of him you know it's chilling you know him just having that glaring stare back at you from the point of view shot you know yeah he um, definitely deserved his Oscar and I think in a lot of cases, authors don't always like the films. <laughs> yeah, when no, they're. 100%. But I think Thomas Harris did actually like like the film. Did it? 
They did it justice, didn't they? Yeah, no. definitely. So, what's your next uh, film? My next film is uh, Predator. Um, Good choice. Yeah, this is one of my favourite films of all time. It's just all all guns blazing. Um, directed by John McTiernan, and who would who would go, then go on to direct uh, Die Hard, written by Shane Black. Um, it has a um, stat cast of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, uh, Shane Black himself, um, and Jesse Ventura, as my among others. Um, it is the most macho film of all time. It's, it's I'd, I'd be surprised if any any girls like it. Um, there's a lot of biceps. There's a lot of, of swearing. You know, just men being men. You know, um, it's got a, a legendary <clears throat> score by Alan Silvestri, um, which perfectly sets up the film. Um, it's like I said once again, even though it's all going blazing, uh, it's very bare bones because. Um, so I don't want to give it away but they end up in the jungle um, doing one mission and uh, there is a extraterrestrial life being that can see them but they can't see it uh, picks them off one by one and uh, the final man you can probably guess who the final man is but again it, it's, that, it's that theme of like the unknown being pursued yeah. by something you can't see and I, I really do, it really yeah. is effective it really does work because like I said it's a very human emotion and we you can feel it through the screen you know it's, it does get your heart racing but yeah. it's um, they're being all the it's, it's uh, the reason why I love it is because all the men are being hunted but then when it's the final man like I said you can probably guess who it is uh, Dutch Alan Sheffern you uh, it's all, Arnold. yeah Arnold Schwarzenegger you it's almost he goes on the hunt for it after the hunter becomes hunted he he strips down he goes back to man's bare essentials you know um, yeah. to survive because the predator's kind of high tech isn't it yeah and the only way that he can defeat him is to go low tech yeah uh, um, like I said he, he goes almost stone age <clears throat> primal instincts you know it's, it's all it's all well and good having these guns but it it knows better than that. It has better technology, and like I said, sometimes you do have to go back to the better necessities, yeah. you know. And that's what I love about it. Like I said, it is a hunted becomes hunt, the hunty sort of yeah. story. And like I said, I can't give too much away, but you do have to watch it because it is a it's it's com it's a comedy as well as as you know it's got everything, but it's it's a thriller. It's it's a horror movie as well. It's very violent, but yeah, it's it's a very macho film, and you should watch it. Yeah. Um, it's got Kevin Peter Hart in it as the Predator, and he yeah. also played the Sasquatch in Harry and the Hendersons. I did not know that. Yeah, he, he did, and because uh, there are screen tests out originally with oh, Jean Claude Jean Van Damme wearing Nam, yeah. some kind of praying mantis. It looks horrible, doesn't it? It would not do well no. if it was that. Uh, if, you, if you do look online, yeah. you can see the, some of the screen tests. For Thank that. God they changed that too. <laughs> But yeah, no, definitely give it a watch. It's a it's a, one of the greatest action films of all time. Yeah, right. So my next film is Star Wars. Yep, the original Star Wars. Yep. Um, I don't know if we have to introduce Star Wars, no. what it's about. But for those who don't know, somehow don't. Yeah. It's a nineteen seventy seven film, uh, directed, written, produced by George Lucas. It stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Cushing, Alec Guinness, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Peter Mayhew, and Dave Prowse. How they got that cast at that that <laughs> budget, you know, man, yeah. I never know. I mean, it was considered a low budget film. Mm. 
Uh, Lucas and only ever made another uh, so two films before that, which was THX 1138, which absolutely bombed. Yeah. It almost bankrupted Coppola's um, film production company. Uh, An American Graffiti. Yeah, after American that. Graffiti after that, and so they they basically gave him the film off the back of American Graffiti. Yeah. Um, and because they had so I think little faith in it, that's why they didn't give him a massive budget. Um, it was filmed at Elstree Studios and on location in Northern uh, Africa. Um, like I said, there's not. There's not a lot you can really talk, say about it. Um, it obviously started off the the whole yeah, Star the whole Wars lore story. Now, some would argue that it isn't the best film in the the original trilogy. Um, it was titled Episode Four: A New Hope, uh, and it was always intended by Lucas to be part of of a nine film uh, franchise. I guess that's why they flow so well together, yeah. you know. Um, and the reason I put it in there is is okay. I'm I'm sure that lots of people would say that Empire is is a better film, but it's the one that started it off. Yeah, and it did. It did define the whole genre. Without this film, we yeah. would not get Empire. We'd not get Returns. No. We'd not get the whole Star Wars lore uh, and all the other films related to to that, <laughs> and yeah. have been based on that as well. I mean, it was it was an absolute. Um, sm- I can't tell you how big of a smash hit it was. It had at the time. It was about seven hundred fifty million, which you put it in today's money is over th- yeah. what three billion. So it'd be the highest I mean, grossing movie. It was at that point the highest grossing movie of all time. I mean, one of the main reasons why I think of this is obviously it's a, it's a brilliant film, but the 70s films of that decade were very depressing, yeah. dark, you know, there were mm-hmm. disaster flicks where this, it is very light-hearted, it took you, it took you out, out of the world's problems, it took you to yeah. different planets and so on. Yeah, because you, you look at films that have been, it's like gritty dramas and mm. police crime films and yeah like you said disaster films and so a lot of people describe this as science fiction I don't no. I think it's it's fantasy yeah. but it's it's essentially a western in space with some of the Japanese overtones um, Darth Vader is, is a samurai warrior um, his clothing everything the, the, the lightsabers um, that is very much the Japanese influence and he is the an iconic character probably the, it's, yeah. to me personally the most iconic antagonist of all time well, I think he has in a lot of a lot of polls being voted the, the mm. yeah the the best villain and it's in got, movies it's, it's got a great scene opening scene of him just walking out to that um, that score by John Williams of course that's, a, that's another thing John Williams yeah. scores this yeah. film and he is yeah. to us personally the, the, the greatest composer of all time yeah. isn't he yeah, and obviously Graham Bacon special effects, what they were doing, nobody yeah. had ever done before, mm. so they had to invent a lot of the techniques. Um, there's countless documentaries on the making of it. Um, when I think when he when he first showed um, a rough cut to the studio executives, didn't have any of the effects in it, didn't have any of the music no. in it, um, and they thought it was just going to bomb, but when you put it all together... It, it actually brought the guy to tears, didn't it? Yeah. Um, it's got one of my favourite pieces of music mm. the, the, the fourth thing twi- uh, Binary Sunset yeah Binary Sunset yeah, um, yeah so like I said it, it's maybe not I mean 
I would I would say it might be a bit controversial, but I don't think George Lucas is the best director. I don't think no. he's the best writer. No. I thought the the dialogue is stilted. Hokey. Even yeah. um even Alec Guinness himself said that the the writing was basically poor, but it was such a good story that he he couldn't stop reading the pages, and that's essentially why they were able to get a, an Oscar winning uh, actor, well known Shakespearean actor, to to play Obi Wan. That's the reason why it was in it, and I think for a lot of people as well, is it's not about religion, it's not about skin color, it's not about someone's nationality. All it is is a simple story of a farm boy going off to fight a bigger oppressive force, and I think that's what a lot of people can relate with. With the character of Luke Skywalker, it doesn't bring in any of those themes, and it's just it's just all around a, a, yeah. a fun film to watch, isn't it? You know, definitely. So yeah, my um. While we're talking about Star Wars, my next film is Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, um, that's on my list as well. Might as well talk both talk about yeah, it. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, um, again, I think I think Lucas said he had such a horrible time filming um, Star Wars. Um, everybody said he, he didn't really like dealing with people. No. So he preferred to concentrate on the special effects, and he turned the directing uh, over to. Irving Kirshner, who was, I think, was one of his professors at UCLA. Yeah, and he he done a better job than George Lucas could ever do. You know what I mean? But I, once again, there's a couple of films, and this is one of them where the uh, the sequel just builds and everything and makes it turns it up a notch. You know? Yeah. And I think obviously this is a, a much darker film, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, uh, which has been described as the, the second act of a two-act play. So yeah. anything that can happen to the protagonist does. You know, they put them in the worst possible situation they can be. Um, obviously, we want Wham to hand solo. Yeah. Don't want to spoil it again. Yeah, this is very hard because um, you don't want to spoil it. But And it's the first time that, that Luke and Darth Vader actually meet. Yeah. And iconic obviously, scene. an iconic scene where a, a massive uh, secret's revealed. The, the the cinematography during that is absolutely yeah. world class but I think as well is it builds like with the, obviously it starts on Hoth it builds the uh, Star Wars lore the Star Wars universe you know it, it can like with the, with a new hope you only see Tatooine and and, and uh, Death Star but no it, it makes it feel much more like it's a universe you know um, the writing is much considerably much better because mm. obviously it was Lawrence Kasdan done it um, and it also introduced another iconic Star Wars character uh, Master Yoda yeah and I think that was the the big problem was how they were going to do that um, and they decided on obviously making a puppet which was voiced by Frank Oz uh, and I think that was a big worry is how the audience were going to um, were going to accept Yoda whether they were going to laugh at it as a puppet yeah but I think the performance by Frank Oz is such that you do, you you forget that it's a puppet and it's a real, you know, real fleshed out character. I think as well that the introduction to him is where uh, Yoda says to Luke, "You see Yoda as an okay, this isn't Yoda, and this can't be Yoda." But then um, he's all like playful and cheery. But then when when it gets down to business, he, when he yeah. reveals that it is Yoda, you 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 know what type of character yeah. he is. You, you have that almost have that respect for him, you know. You you see him as a master. But it's like um, as well. 
Luke obviously doesn't, you know, he's heard about Yoda, this great warrior, um, and he doesn't expect him being to be a little frog. Being a little, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's about, um, you know, and that one, breaks one, of the, one of the, the lines is, Judge me by my size, do you? Which is, is true. Yeah. You shouldn't judge people just on, on what they look like or their size or whatever. Um, it's much deeper than that. So there are other themes there. Um, well, like I said, there's not much we can really no, say. You do have to watch it. Like I said, yeah. uh, for me, this is one of, if not the greatest film of all time. Yeah, I totally agree. So, uh, moving on, is my goal again? Yep. All right. So, my next film on my, my penultimate is The Searchers. I've never seen it, so no. you're going to have to. Um, it's close one again. You can't, you can't. There's so many films that I can mm. chosen, but this is just one of my favourites. Because I like westerns, that's one of mm. my favourite genres. It's a 1956 western directed by John Ford, and it stars John Wayne. Uh, and the plot is it's John Wayne's character he comes back from the Civil War to his brother's farm mm. and while he's there there's a, there's a raid by the Comanches who drive off the cattle um, and while the men are out trying to retrieve the cattle there's another raid um, and most of his family are killed and they kidnap um, his niece played by later on played by Demi Reynolds and it's about his um, eight-year search to try to find his niece who's been kidnapped by the Comanches. Um, so, hence the, the search of the title. Um, and right at the end of the film, when he does find her, initially she doesn't want to come back with him. And you don't know what he's going to do, whether he's going to kill her or not. And I'm not going to give the end away, so if you want, if you don't know what happens, you've got to go watch it. But again... Um, it's beautiful. It's, it's filmed in Monument Valley, which is, I think, one of John Ford's favourite filming locations. Beautiful scenery. Um, there's some iconic moments in it. One of which is when he, he returns Debbie uh, back to the family. He just turns, walks, stands in the doorway in silhouette and just disappears off into the distance. Uh, I would highly recommend watching it if you get the chance. Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly... I'll certainly give it a go, you know. Um, so, moving on, your, is it your last film? No, my second to last okay. film um, is Michael Bay's The Rock. Um, <laughs> we really like this film, don't we? Oh, yeah. um, it's um, Again, it is, it is complete complete rubbish. Really. Yeah, no, it is. We, we do like those films where they're, it's like they're an ex-CIA or, you know, and, and they're, they're up against like 50 men and they somehow come out victorious. But they, the, this one thing about this, this film is... It's got Sean Connery in. Um, uh, like I said, it, it stars Sean Connery, Nicholas Cage, Ed Harris, and it's about a team of um, Marines that take the rock, aka uh, Alcatraz. Nicholas Cage, a uh, uh, bio weapons um, engineer in the yeah, FBI. They've got they've got like bio weapons, and they yeah. aimed at San Francisco. Hey, oh, the X gas, which yeah. is one of the most deadliest gases ever, and they said. They demand money, or they're going to shoot it over yeah. San Francisco. But yeah, like I said, Nicholas Cage, he um, is a chemical expert, mm, and in, they in um, in gases and things, poisonous gases and stuff, isn't he? They get his help, and then they also get the help from the only man to ever escape from Alcatraz, which is Sean Connery, who's an SES uh, former SES um, operative. operative, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in the 60s, um, Sean Connery's character stole some secret files from the FBI, 
and so he he was imprisoned without a trial and all evidence of his existence had been wiped yeah um, and he'd been held on Alcatraz uh, and he was the only person to have ever successfully escaped and the, the plan is to send a navy seal team to um to free the hostages and they ask for Sean Connery's help but in order to help them he says he has to be on the ground so then he ends up going in with uh, Nicholas Cage who's going to have to disarm the the bombs um again don't want to give too much away but it is it's one of those films that Bat is shit crazy isn't yeah, it? yeah and it's but it's really good uh obviously a great score by Hans Zimmer again and um don't expect realism from this film because it isn't but it, it is like a, a really fun time and it, it's a popcorn movie you can just switch it on and have a really good time on with this yeah. movie I mean there's a there's a car chase scene involving a Humvee yeah um, I think it's a, a Ferrari yeah and then a motorbike and a street car <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of that just sums uh, it up yeah. but yeah no definitely give it a watch okay good so your final film yeah my final film is the 1990 crime film Goodfellas mm. uh, directed by Martin Scorsese written by Nicholas Pileggi starring Robert De Niro Ray Liotta and Joe Pesci um, it's supposedly based on a true story yep. about uh, a guy called Henry Hill and it details how as a kid he got involved with the local crime family um, started skipping school spending time with them and eventually becomes uh, part of their uh, group yeah um, and then they pull off one of the biggest uh, it's called the Lufthansa heist this is where they steal payroll going to Germany for uh, US uh, soldiers serving over there um, and it's about infighting as well um, Robert De Niro's character becomes paranoid that other people are going to get him caught so he starts killing people who are involved in it. Um, it's just it's just a great film. I mean, it is. You know, there, there's millions of of gangster films, but it's yeah. the it's the standard and it's the most real, isn't it? You know, yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. And then obviously, what happens in in the end is Henry's uh, caught on drug uh, charges. Just they raid his house, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they raid his house, find drugs, and they're given the option of. Um, turning state's evidence which he does he he then um, is put in witness protection so the start of the film and the end of the film are, are him in witness protection and then he narrates the whole film throughout um, it's, it's a very um, thrilling but tense film yeah. and, and it does put you on the edge of your seat the whole time yeah. you know but it, it, it's it's odd as well because it's got some very natural comic comedic elements like yeah. um with Joe Pesci he obviously yeah. won the Oscar for that didn't he yeah yeah and so. yeah so uh, it's graphic as well yeah but it is a film that I I, I would say watch if you can 100% especially if you're into yeah. gangster films is the the pinnacle of those yeah. that, that genre of film yeah. um my last film is uh what I consider to be the greatest sequel of all time um Terminator 2 Judgment Day um the reason why I love this so much is uh, once again that theme of, of building on the original but it basically kicks 
the the door for the ha hatches for this one. Um, it is a totally different <coughs> film to the to the original. Um, yeah. The original, I love the original. Um, it's very you can tell it's a small budget. Um, it's very bare bones. It's it's almost more of a horror film um, about a T one hundred going after Sarah Connor and. Um, What's essentially about? Um, it's about a robot that's been sent back, back in, in time, time to kill the mother of its um, opponent in future. It's it's kind of it's very mind bending, yeah. but yeah. Um, but again, like you say, it's very dark. Yeah. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. Um, it's a clever film because although it's futuristic, it's same <laughs> same present day. Yeah, nineteen eighty four. So that's how they can keep the the budget down. But like you say, the 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 second or T Terminator Two um, is about uh, a new Terminator that's sent back. The T One Thousand played yeah, by Robert Patrick to kill John Connor. Yeah, um, and what happens is the rebels in future capture T Eight Hundred, yeah. which again played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. They reprogram it and they send that back in time to protect John Connor. What I love about um. The, this, this, the first scene where you see both Terminators on screen is uh, John Connor's being chased by the T-1000 uh, which is a more updated uh, Terminator with its liquid um, metal and it's even now the, the, it's CGI but it, it really does stand up to, to na the CGI of now doesn't it you yeah, know it does, but yeah. um, uh, he's being chased by the T-1000 down one side of the corridor and then the other side is is the T-800 and um, the T-800 uh, gets a shotgun out and you think oh no they're both after him but the T-800 says get down and he protects the uh, protects John Connor from the T-1000 and you you, you realise that because up until that point you, you just think they both they sent both models back in time you know but no you realise that the rebels sent the T-800 back to uh, protect John Connor and it also it makes it feel like a different film because you've you've got all, always got that uh, protective side because in the first one it was just literally Sarah Connor um, and uh, Carl Reese humans against the T eight hundred unstoppable being but now you've got that that protective element in the T eight hundred against the T one thousand but it is an all out action film um, but it's so well written. Um, it's so well paced. the The dialogue is is amazing. Yeah, and the, the sort of relationship between the Terminator and John Connor as well. Yeah. Um, John teaches the Terminator to be sort of more human, um, and as Sarah says herself, he's the perfect father for him because he will protect him and he'll never stop. Because that is his one. That's his one it? mission in in life is 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 to protect John Connor. So yeah, it's very different to the original. Um, I think the reason Arnold Arnie wanted to, to change it slightly was because he wanted to change his image. He didn't want to yeah. be the bad guy. He wanted to play the good guy. And obviously he went on to do, I don't know if it was before Kindergarten Cop. I don't know if yeah. it was before or after this. Um, twins. So it really changed his image. He it's, became more of a film hero than a film villain. That's just a testament to Arnie because he can play a bad T-800 and a good T-800 just as well as each other, you know. But like I said, it 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 does build on onto that first film. It's it's 
it brings in more emotion obviously you can get that from the the increased budget you know it does help a lot but yeah it really implemented James Cameron as a as a serious director in in that sort of um Spielberg Scorsese type of directing yeah and it did it was a groundbreaking special effects yeah. wasn't it with uh, because the T1000 is actually made of liquid metal yeah and so you see how it melts and how it how it can um it can duplicate uh people it just and, looks it got the physics right yeah. about it you know what I mean yeah. and it takes so much computer power to do that it's, it's I really don't know how they did it but like I said even today it stands up to yeah. today's CGI okay well, that concludes our podcast for today, I think. Um, like like we say, this is purely personal lists. Uh, film, I mean, there was a lot of films that I couldn't include that I would have liked to have included. Maybe we'll do another one <laughs> later yeah, on. Yeah, it could do. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. We're hoping to do these every couple of weeks. Mm, and we're going to do any anything and everything yeah. about films, you know, any little um, ideas that we get, we're going to do, yeah. do a podcast about it, so... Yeah. Um, thanks for listening and we'll hope to see you again thank you bye